there's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome to episode three of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar and Jonathan Harrison here to react to the entire NFL and what happened in week two and then do a little looking forward to week three as well. But before we get really deep diving into our five questions, and if this is the first time you're listening, uh, I cover the Minnesota Vikings, which is why this is a day late because I was traveling back from Philadelphia And uh, so, you know, we've got some conversation there to talk about, but also the way we do this show is five questions pertaining to the NFL and maybe some other stuff uh, tangentially related to the NFL to have fun with uh, everything that we're reacting to on a weekly basis here. So if you're just joining, welcome. This show is uh, not necessarily about our hot takes. It's more about let's uh, give our own unique spin on what has happened in the league. So Jonathan, before we get into the five questions, I have um, just a starter for you, which is how confident do you feel in what you've seen so far in the NFL that it will be predictive of future results? Like week one confidence should be very low because there are many stories of crazy things happening in week one, and then the results turn out very different, but we have a much bigger sample size now. So how do you feel about the uh, confidence level from the week two results? I'd say beyond um, Buffalo and Kansas City just destroying the rest of the AFC and the rest of the NFL entirely. Uh, everything else is just, it feels like a toss-up in the air, especially uh, the NFC, which just doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to do at all. And, I mean, Philadelphia is at the top of the NFC, and not a whole lot of people, I would imagine, predicted that. Tampa Bay's right up there as well, but they don't look like the Tampa Bay of the past two years. So I think beyond Kansas City and Buffalo, what they're what those two teams are doing and how they'll eventually meet each other and probably in the AFC Championship game, I have no faith in everything else playing out the way it has over the first two weeks. Yeah, I think that uh, we did learn a lot about maybe some teams that look like they're going to have to improve a lot of things in order to be a contender. Someone like Carolina, for example, Um, I don't know that the Jacoby Brissett experiment is going to work for the Cleveland Browns to keep them above water the way they fell apart against the New York uh, or yeah, against the New York Jets and Joe Flacco allowing Joe Flacco to come back on them. Uh, You know, Carolina's in a pretty tough spot. So there's like a lot of teams that I think showed we're not going to be all that competitive this year right out of the gates, but there's a lot more in the middle, as you mentioned, of teams that could go either way. And just coming from Philadelphia and having covered that game, the Minnesota Vikings are certainly one of them that is right in that middle. They're playing against Detroit. That's another team that's right in that middle. They got a very good win against uh, Washington. And so, yeah, there's a lot um, that could be decided here. San Francisco with their situation with Jimmy Garoppolo taking over, that might be good for them um, because Garoppolo is more experienced. Uh, I would say that my confidence probably went up maybe from about 5% in believing in the results 
to maybe like 25%. I do feel like the increased sample size gave us a lot more idea of the strengths and weaknesses of teams, but how much those play out over the next 15 or 16 weeks um, that, you know, we're going to find out. So why don't we dive right into our first question, which kind of pertains to some of the things going wrong with teams around the league, most notably uh, the red flags. I I want to hear your red flags for teams, and it can be just a team as a whole, or it can be something specific about a team that they should be viewing as a red flag and could ultimately take them down as a team. Okay, so I'll start off with Matt Ryan and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts. Everybody thought that Matt Ryan would come in and be kind of this game changer for them and be a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. And through for, through the first two weeks, he has one of the lowest graded PFF quarterback ratings of pretty much anybody, any other starter in the league. He's He's not doing what he was supposed to be doing. I mean, they had to come back from 17 down against the Texans in week one to, draw, to tie at 2020. And then they get blanked by the Jacksonville Jaguars the very next week. Yes, both of those were on the road, but still, that's no excuse for a team that had such high expectations in such a terrible division in the AFC, one of the weakest in the entire league. And Indianapolis were set up right there, bringing pretty much everybody else back except for Carson Wentz at quarterback. And they haven't done anything to write home about in the first two weeks. And then my second one is probably going to be what the heck is going on with Denver and Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, Russell Wilson's just looking terrible through the first two weeks. They struggled to beat the Seattle Seahawks and they couldn't, they could barely beat the Texans the very next week. So that one with as many, as much expectations as both those teams had, but especially Denver with how much they spent to bring in Russell Wilson and how shaky he's looked and how mediocre he's looked there. And some of the questionable play calls, questionable game management situations that Nathaniel Hackett's had in Denver in those first two weeks has me really concerned, especially considering they have the toughest division in all of football and you can't get behind already. And they're already one and one behind the Kansas City chiefs and Los Angeles chargers. That's, it's already a tough road to climb back into that division, considering they were probably the weakest team in that division, maybe with Las Vegas. But now it's getting tougher with uh, each passing day of Nathaniel Hackett's tenure there. Yeah, those are great selections. And with Hackett and with Wilson, I mean, you could make an argument that Nathaniel Hackett didn't really have a resume that was deserving of being a head coach to begin with. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. That didn't go great. And then he was the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville when they went to the AFC championship largely on their defense and not necessarily on the greatness of Blake Bortles and their offense. He goes to Green Bay. They have a certain quarterback there who might be helpful to his coaches. Uh, and and also Matt LaFleur is a very good coach. I, I think that LaFleur went there and implemented the right offense for what Aaron Rodgers needed at that point in his career, but Rodgers throwing it to Devonte Adams constantly and winning MVP twice. I don't know how you can trickle that down or follow that rabbit hole to, Oh yeah, Nate Hackett deserves to be a head coach. So he wouldn't be the first that came from a team with a great quarterback and then went on to other places and did well. But I think you do question the resume a little bit. And is he prepared for this? And through two weeks, he's shown that he really is not prepared for this. There's another part of it too, that maybe Russell Wilson isn't what he used to be. And also we love to tell coaches in the NFL and it's part of the greatness of football that we can always second guess everything everybody does. But maybe Pete Carroll 
and maybe Brian Schottenheimer before, maybe they understood some things about Russell Wilson, about why they needed to run the ball and do play actions and take shots mm-hmm. downfield. And the other thing is maybe Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin before him, DK Metcalf, like maybe these players helped a lot. I am not saying that Russ was not a great quarterback. He was a Hall of Fame level quarterback for a long time, won a Super Bowl, went to another one, a, a great, great player. But I don't know that he's exactly the same quarterback as he was before. And if you don't have players that you could take deep shots to, and Jerry Judy has not become the star that people expected him to become in Denver, then uh, this is not a quarterback who can like game manage checkdowns. This isn't Tom Brady who could take these quick shots uh, to to his running backs and throw to his running back ten times in a game and have that succeed. And so it might be a combination of actually both of them. Uh, one of them who's in over his head, and the other one who's not quite what he used to be. I think both deserve red flags. Matt Ryan is kind of reminding me of old Eli Manning, where every year it was like, oh well, they just need to, and all the thing you could get Eli back if you just do the and it's probably the coach's fault and you just need a running back and Saquon Bartley and and like no like the guy just got old but that is that is what it is in the NFL and I think that uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning before him maybe tricked us into thinking that every quarterback now is going to play effectively to 40 years old and that just might not be the case with Matt Ryan that his age has taken its toll and, you know, Philip Rivers was able to do it for Indianapolis, kind of have that bounce back year after a down final season uh, with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. So maybe they felt like, well, this worked before and got us into the playoffs. And they were a drive away from beating Buffalo in the playoffs with Philip Rivers. I think the difference is that Matt Ryan in his peak is really physically gifted, uh, that his mobility was was good and his pocket presence was good. Not that he ran a lot, but mobility is a little different. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that that's there anymore. And also the arm strength is clearly not there when that was a strength of his early in his career. That mm-hmm. as compared to Philip Rivers, where Philip Rivers was always like a little short on arm strength, but was great in anticipation and things like that. So I think that there are differences and it's not just, hey, every good old quarterback will continue to be good. So your red flags are, are excellent. I think Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's pocket presence, um, taking sacks that you know sacks are a quarterback stat man and Joe Burrow has taken a lot of them despite big effort on their side to rebuild their offensive line and I don't know if that's going to change that that the word is out that Joe Burrow will take a lot of sacks and they should be a little concerned about that about like dropping back um, I think the only other one for me for a big red flag, aside from maybe obvious teams that were never going to be very good, like Houston, uh, is that Jameis Winston is struggling quite a bit. And uh, Jameis Winston has four fractures in his back, apparently. And I am not a doctor, but that doesn't sound great for playing quarterback for a 17 game season. And Winston looked very uncomfortable uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday. And I think that that's going to be a long season for them. And I wouldn't be shocked if we end up seeing Andy Dalton at some point take over. The other thing is, too, that a lot of people stuck up for Jameis after he threw for all those yards and had all those picks. And they said, well, you know, interceptions can be random and stuff like that. Not 30 of them. Like, it's in his DNA to turn the ball over and, and be kind of all over the place in high variance. And I think that that's really played out 
uh, in these first couple of weeks. And, and I think that's going to be a tough go for New Orleans if they're trying to run Jameis out there and, and compete for that division, um, because I think that they're not the team that they once were either. Yeah, and you don't get healthier as the NFL season goes on, especially with an offensive line that lost its best left tackle uh, in free agency this last season. You're not going to get healthier. And if he stands in there and takes the hits that he's going to, like Jameis has been, I mean, he's going to get, he's going to continue to stay injured. He's not going to get healthier. And that goes back to the point of Burrow taking as many sacks as he's, he's had through the first three or two games of the season. 13 sacks in two games is an astronomical number already in this season that's that's a very bad sign for a team that spent as much money as they did in the offseason on their offensive line because they had that problem last year and they somehow played their way through it to the Super Bowl and almost won it but they and they they focused on that this offseason it's still not working so that yeah those two red flags are are very good as well I do think the Bengals can look around at their division and say Cleveland is not going to be that strong. Uh, And if Cleveland falls too far out of it, it won't matter when Deshaun Watson comes Mm -hmm. back. Also, we can't really expect Deshaun Watson to be an elite quarterback when he returns for the last few games of the season because he hasn't played football in a long time. Um, So I think that Cincinnati is still in an okay place. Baltimore had the loss to Miami. Uh, You have Pittsburgh uh, already. Mitch Trubisky's like calling out his coaches for not trying to push the ball down the field more often. That might be a red flag, but it's not really a red flag if we already knew. Like just being not good and we knew you weren't good is not like what red flags are supposed to be. It's supposed to be teams that thought they were going to be competitive but had these issues. I might also add the, you know, the Vikings uh, having maybe some red flags there against the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't block very well they can't rely on Justin Jefferson all the time and if they don't have a running game that's as effective as it was in years past and Adam Thielen is not the receiver that he was in the past that's a pretty big red flag for them long season and these weapons are proven but guys get older in football and and they and they fade like it's just reality of running backs receivers at their age um, they are not usually expected to perform the same way they did when they were Uh, you know, five years younger, which is you have to go back now five, six years to when someone like Adam Thielen or maybe like four years with uh, Delvin Cook, three years uh, for being like at at his absolute peak of his powers. 2019 is um, uh, Cook's best season and 2018 is Thielen's best season. Those are pretty far in the rear view mirror at this point, and they still are having offensive line issues against very good teams. So some red flags there for teams. Now I want to move on to Trey Lance and the 49ers. So Trey Lance gets hurt. Really unfortunate. I was super interested to see what Trey Lance was going to do this year. And he goes down. So now Jimmy Garoppolo comes in. And of course, this reminds everybody of all of the great backup quarterbacks come off the bench and go lead their team somewhere magical. And this is very possible for San Francisco. You look at their roster, the experience and past of Garoppolo, and the NFC and the NFC West that just doesn't even really look that good. Like there's a lot of stars that align for Jimmy Garoppolo to have a special year off the bench. If he stays healthy and if he is consistent for them, uh, I want you to tell me what your favorite all time stories of quarterbacks coming off the bench to go on to win. What are your favorite all time stories from backup quarterbacks? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So my two go back to the late 90s, and they're essentially back-to-back seasons. And I want to start with Kurt Warner. Everybody knows that one. They made a movie about it last year or whatever. Uh, And just coming off the bench and – replacing Trent Green in the preseason and Dick Vermeil saying we're going to stick with that with Kurt Warner he's our guy going forward and leading the Super Bowl Rams to a 13 and 3 record 45 4300 yards passing 41 touchdowns 13 interceptions for a guy who had 11 pass attempts in his career before that season it's a pretty miraculous season for a guy who was bagging groceries between his stint with the Packers and the Rams had played for arena league football teams in Iowa all over the place I, I love that story, but also this story as well of Randall Cunningham. Uh, he wasn't the the starter in 1998 originally. That was Brad Johnson. And Brad Johnson goes out injured and Randall Cunningham comes in, leads the Vikings to a 13-1 and record when he's the quarterback. So 15-1 and record total. And they have one of the most explosive offenses of all time with Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Robert Smith is the running back. They had everything going for them. He had his best season as a professional football or a professional quarterback. And I love those two stories just because they weren't expected to do what they did. Randall Cunningham was 35 when he took over as the Vikings quarterback in 1998, a guy who pretty much was just hanging on as a backup who was brought out from, I don't remember. I think he was in Vegas at the time before Denny green brought him back as a quarterback the year before for the Vikings. And they kept him on the roster and he leads the team to their, one of their best seasons in franchise history. But those two are my favorites. Yeah, I think that uh, it was, let's see, if I'm not mistaken, he was, uh, Randall Cunningham was doing like a flooring company or something. I think so, yeah. A concrete company. And then he came back. Yeah, he also was at the helm for a very ugly uh, playoff win in 1997 that he came off the bench that they were way behind and they got, I think, an onside kick and ended up winning that game. And then he has one of the all-time great seasons with Randy Moss. And my favorite part of that story is Randall Cunningham proving that he could throw the ball and be a traditional quarterback, which he always could have been. But I think that Buddy Ryan and the 80s uh, Eagles – and after being in Philadelphia, there's a lot of love still for Randall Cunningham. I saw a ton of Randall Cunningham jerseys, but you have to wonder if it had been a little more organized with their offensive system as opposed to just being like, hey, Randall, go run around and make every play out there. Um, what his statistics would have been like. And also, I think his passing uh, is a little bit underrated because he was such an incredible athlete, such mm-hmm. an incredible uh, runner that that was sent the center of their offense, but he was also a great passer and he was able to prove that with one of the great all-time seasons. That's a very cool one. So uh, Kurt Warren and Randall Cunningham are great selections. I've got a few uh, Jeff Hostetler coming off the bench for the New York giants to win the super bowl. After Phil Sims got hurt, he beat the San Francisco 49ers to get to that super bowl, which is incredible in a very game manager game. Uh, but Jeff Hostetler, uh, gets sacked in the end zone in 91 Super Bowl, and it's by Bruce Smith who hits his arm. Somehow he hangs on to the ball, and they get a safety, but it basically saves the game for the New York Giants because if he fumbles and it's a touchdown, it's a whole different game. And Hostetler had been such a great athlete 
that he was playing special teams at times for the New York Giants, and then he ends up winning the Super Bowl as their quarterback. Uh, Nick Foles, Philly special, kind of needs no explanation there. I mean, that's one of the the wildest stories of someone who had been a starter, was kind of thinking about quitting football, maybe out of the league, and then uh, he ends up doing that. Earl Morrill, 72 Dolphins, uh, played a big role in, in that season off the bench. Doug Williams, the first black quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl, was a backup to Jay Schrader for Washington after being out of the league and playing in the USFL because he couldn't get the contract that he wanted from Tampa Bay despite being one of the better quarterbacks. Um, Trent Dilfer did not start the 2000 Ravens season. Case Keenum took the Vikings to the NFC Championship. Jake DeLome to the Super Bowl. Uh, Frank Reich with the greatest comeback of all time and an underrated one that never gets brought up, but is a guy who was in the CFL and came to the NFL late in his career. Dieter Brock for the Los Angeles Rams took them to the NFC championship against the bears and got absolutely crushed in 1985. So nobody, nobody ever remembers the 85 Rams because of the 85 bears but Dieter Brock was a CFL quarterback who ended up coming to the NFL, had that year, and that was it. That was like his whole career getting that team there. So there's many, many stories, which means, hey, Cooper Rush could be the next great one, right? He just got a win against uh, Cincinnati. I mean, there, there are dozens. It's why backup quarterbacks are great, but I think those are some of the greatest. And there is one more that we haven't brought up that maybe people are thinking of. Tom Brady. Yes. Tom yeah, Brady. Well, yeah. Folks, if you haven't heard this before, use the internet to figure <laughs> it out. Use Wiki. Look at Mo Lewis, Drew Bledsoe. You know what, though? I'll tell you a great backup quarterback story. In the, I think it's the AFC divisional round, or it might even be the AFC championship. I'd have to check. Um, and I just closed out pro football reference. Drew Bledsoe had to come off the bench against Pittsburgh in that year where Tom Brady took over. And Bledsoe played really well and won the game. So one of the reasons that they won the Super Bowl, one of the major reasons, was that Drew Bledsoe was ready to play despite getting benched. And it's it's something that's never mentioned, but like one of the, I think one of the coolest stories of any quarterback's career is like, and, and this could be the same for Jimmy Garoppolo. You get benched and you have every reason to just give up and pout, but he mm-hmm. came back in. I mean, that, and was ready and, and won. I mean, I just think that that's such a great story in the playoffs. I'm trying to look at which game it was uh, right now. Wasn't it's it the championship well. game? Because there was the questions in, going into that Super Bowl that who was Bill going to start? Was it going to be Tom or was it going to be uh, – yeah, there was questions of who was going to start that Super Bowl because of how well Drew Bledsoe had played. Yes, it was, it was the championship game because the game before that, of course, was the uh, tuck rule game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tom Brady, but, uh, Bledsoe came off the bench threw for a hundred yards, a touchdown, and they won by a touchdown over the Steelers. So that, that is a very cool story. I think, uh, off the bench, by the way, uh, my next- favorite part of your Dieter Brock point is you go to pro football reference. It's his only season on there. He's got no other season other than that 85 season. Isn't that crazy? And he was, uh, he was just a great uh, Canadian league player and never got another chance. I mean, it's a little bit case Keenum ish where yeah. Keenum is a backup and doesn't get a whole lot of chances to start. He's pretty much a mediocre starter. Anytime he got a chance goes 13 and three and then right back. I mean, he gets a chance with Denver. It doesn't work. He gets a chance with Washington. It doesn't work. And it was just that one magical season for him. 
that that he rose to the challenge. So we'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of Drew Bledsoe-ish uh, in this way. Uh, next question for you. Tua Tagovailoa has been absolutely wonderful through two weeks. And uh, I want to know from you, Jonathan, whether you think that Tua is proof of either the rookie quarterback contract being gold for NFL teams, quarterback development and patience, or receivers basically run the league now. And you can't pick all three. You have to tell me which one. So let's say you were making a pie chart. Which one would have the largest section of the pie? I was going to say, you giving me three options and we're not doing a pie chart. feel a little, uh, little embarrassed here that we're not going to do that. But yeah, I... So I was thinking about this while we were watching uh, Philadelphia and the Vikings and how people thought of Jalen Hurts going into the season and giving him, not giving him enough credit for being a th- uh, his throwing talents. And he sh- put on a show, absolute show, on Monday night, just torching the Vikings defense with throws all over the field, his patience and just ripping apart that team. Um, and I've always been on the bandwagon of – having patience, letting quarterbacks develop. And I know that's incredibly tough uh, today, especially if you draft a guy in the first round, you're immediately pressured to start him because your team's already bad. So why not just get the guy in there and let him develop while he's on the field? But I've always been a guy who's looked at some of these examples like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, You got Aaron Rodgers, two of the best quarterbacks around in the NFL today. They didn't start their first season. Aaron Rodgers didn't start his first three seasons. Yes, they had situations in front of them that were pretty good that – allowed them to sit on the bench and wait and kind of learn the game, learn the NFL game instead of going straight from college right into the NFL, but giving those guys time on the bench and letting them kind of slow play their way into the NFL. Seems like it's worked pretty well for two of the better quarterbacks in the league. It should be done more often, but I understand there's a lot of pressure. So I'm going to go with B and the quarterback development slash patience for Tua being good because he didn't start right away either. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the guy who started for the first half of that season before Tua eventually came in. So it gave him a little time to kind of adjust to the NFL, adjust to playing not for Alabama, not where everybody's just going to dominate everybody, where you're going to be on a bad team and you're probably going to get dominated a lot. So that also takes the takes an adjustment is getting used to not being just the best guy on the field every single week, week in and week out. To your point, I, I think it's a good one that we love and we love to do this before. And it's part of like the entertainment value of the NFL. Everybody wants to call it. Like everyone wants to say, oh yeah, this is the quarterback I'm hitching my wagon to, but you really don't know. And I think every situation is different because the Miami Dolphins, you know, they might look really smart now, but they also tried to get like Tom Brady as their quarterback and they got suspended uh, and fined big time for their owner for trying to get Tom Brady to be their quarterback. Brady looks like he doesn't feel like playing anymore, which maybe should have been in our red flags list. Uh, that Tom Brady just doesn't look like he can really uh, do the same things that he was even doing last year. We'll see. You know, I'm not counting him out. I'm just saying that it looks a little bit rickety with Tom Brady. There's a lot of short passes and and not a lot of uh, aggressiveness from him. So they might not have known this either. And uh, look at Buffalo. Like they were pretty, you know, well scrutinized for drafting Josh Allen as high as they did because his college statistics were so poor. And through the first couple of years, that looked correct. The scrutiny looked like it was exactly right about Josh Allen and his accuracy. And then he gets Stephon Diggs and he, you know, they develop him and they take the time and they put him in the right offense and everything else. 
And so the right answer is really it's all things because they were able to bring in these wide receivers for him in part because of the rookie quarterback contract. So it ties in, but he's also clearly more confident and more comfortable. And they might also have a smarter offensive mind in uh, Mike McDaniels. I, I think that like they just might be smarter now than they were before. Um, in a lot of ways. So I think that uh, if anything, it's um, Mike McDaniel, I meant it's Josh McDaniels, Mike McDaniel. But <laughs> I, I think it is a convergence of all things. But more than anything else, it was probably us trying to decide really fast on him, where I think it probably takes by the end of year three to truly know. But the other part, the other side of this is someone like Sam Darnold, they kept making excuses for and like, oh, he's got a lot of big time throws and maybe next year and all these things. And, you know, so they needed a situation. And this is how I look at it. You need a situation where you can truly find out where you can leave no doubt. And if you have the quarterback on the rookie contract, you can leave no doubt by stacking the roster around him because when they put all these guys on the field, then you're like, okay, Jalen Hurts, you should be great. Okay, Tua, you should be great. And if you can't take us anywhere, you're not good enough to be our guy long-term. And down the road, this will maybe present some challenges if there's some shortages in certain skills that would sustain through a bigger contract for someone like Tua. But I also think that like he was drafted high for a reason. Like this is how it should look. Like all the things that he was drafted for, that's what they're showing. The accurate passes, like he was never the strongest arm. The leadership, the knowledge of the game, those things, like those are all starting to show up. And also it might just be a little bit of small sample size as well. We'll see how this goes through the entire year. But uh, if I had to pick one, I guess I would probably say patience because sometimes patience also results in those other things coming together, a better offensive coach, a, uh, you know, a, a better roster to work with. I think that their receivers and their offensive line were just really mediocre. And then you add Jalen Waddle in his second year, Tyreek Hill. I mean, now you, ha- you really have something. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing bringing those guys in has helped, and we've seen with uh, with the Vikings how Justin Jefferson can change an offense. You already had Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen before him. You get rid of Diggs, you bring in Justin Jefferson, and it almost seems like you never miss a beat considering Diggs was already one of the better receivers in the league when you got rid of him, and there was a lot of consternation for obvious reasons of getting rid of Diggs. And then Justin Jefferson comes in and puts up the first two seasons that he does, and it's like you never miss a beat. So part of that also is just bringing in better receivers. And you're kind of seeing that with Justin Fields and how little patience they're having with him in Chicago and how little talent they've surrounded with him. They've gotten rid of everybody and they're telling him, good luck, son, try and develop as a quarterback while you're playing with basically no one essentially. Which is why I think in Chicago, what we'll see is next year, they will try to get receivers uh, and then then it's like prove it or, or go home yeah. after after that. And that's a good timeline for them. Like they weren't going to win the Super Bowl next year anyway. So you can go into free agency at next year. They've cleared out their cap and now they'll be able to set him up with everything he needs. And then if, if he can't succeed after that with improved offensive line and improved wide receivers, then he's just not that good. The issue becomes you're kind of spending an entire brutal, miserable, awful year where the guy's just going to get beat up. Yeah. 
And it almost seems like they're trying to protect him at this point. Like they know it's this bad and he's throwing 11 passes, but that's really concerning that he's throwing 11 passes. So you have to weigh the like major red flags at times with also being patient. Uh, And I do want to say that I think that it is a receiver driven league more than it's ever been in the Mm -hmm. entire history of the NFL. If you have those guys, you can do a lot of things. And uh, Case Keenum could certainly attest to that with uh, playing with um, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen in their peaks in Buffalo. So yeah, I think there's a lot of examples of quarterbacks who have had great situations with great weapons that are benefiting from them, uh, particularly when they're on their rookie deals. Uh, okay. So I think we agree that Kansas city and Buffalo are the two best teams in the national football league of football. Who's next. Like if you were to have to pick who's going to be in the super bowl, one AFC, one NFC team, who do you put next? Or you could even put this, this isn't really a power rankings podcast, although we could have made it that and put the Z on rankings uh, and just like power rank things all day long. But if you were to have to rank the the next best team, but you have to do an AFC and an NFC team, who would it be? So for the AFC, that one's going to be trickier just because uh, it's obviously Buffalo and the Chiefs, which is the reason for this question. After that, it's you're questioning how some of these teams have started in the season and going back to the conversation we just had with Tua and how good the dolphins have looked through the first two weeks. I would say if it's not the the bills or the chiefs, that it's probably going to be the dolphins just based off the way they play based off the rest of that division. You're not sure of the Patriots and you're definitely kind of already out on what the jets have shown uh, through the first two weeks of the season. So AFC for me has probably got to be the dolphins because Uh, Justin Herbert is injured already with the chargers and I don't trust Brandon Staley there as their head coach and making, making the decisions that he's made there. Uh, As we talked about AFC South is just a dumpster fire. No one's really going to separate. It's probably going to be the Jaguars out of that division. Who knows? And then the AFC North, the, the Bengals have started weak with an 0-2 start, but they're probably going to take that division. Maybe Baltimore will give them a little bit of a fight, but I don't really see with that how that offensive line has performed, and I know they did the same thing last year in the playoffs, so uh, shame on me for doubting them already trying to do that again. But can you really ask Joe Burrow to put up with that much punishment two seasons in a row, three seasons in a row, in fact, uh, and going on deep runs in two of those seasons, that's going to be a lot you're asking a quarterback you're basically staking your franchise on. When you go over to the NFC, good luck picking anybody. Just throw a hat in the air and grab whichever name falls first. But recency bias says it's going to be the Eagles with how well they played Monday night. That's kind of the last thing we all saw was how well they played and how how good they looked both offensively and defensively. You never really trusted what they could do defensively until they shut down Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. They just kind of didn't exist on Monday night, the Vikings offense. And so that was an impressive performance from the Eagles, and they've got the easiest division. I don't trust the New York Giants, Washington's, yeah, whatever they, whatever the heck they are. And then Dallas is already missing Dak Prescott. So I would say the Eagles probably have the easiest route, maybe the Buccaneers, but for me, it's going to be the, the dolphins and the Eagles. And that would be one interesting super bowl for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the Eagles are the right answer here and you're right that, you know, with Dallas, they played so poorly in week one and then the rest of the team around Cooper rush played great in week two, but they're going to have to survive Cooper rush being in there for a while. The NFC, Outside of Philly, I want to put San Francisco there because I'm just buying the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to come out and also be motivated for his next contract. If I'm not mistaken, he's a free agent after this year. 
So someone's just going to be able to back up a Brinks truck to Jimmy Garoppolo if he takes them back deep in the playoffs again. Uh, and, and I also think that he's just like a good quarterback. He's not unbelievable. He's not a guy that you guarantee you're going to be in the Super Bowl race every year, but he's clearly good enough to get them deep in the playoffs. And they have a very, very strong roster. Uh, the other team uh, that I wouldn't count out, I mean, is just Tampa Bay because Brady might get it together midway through the season and start rolling. So I think I, it's like I'm going to pick against Brady when he's uh, wearing a Hall of Fame jacket and is not allowed near football anymore and can't like become an owner of a team and then quarterback like he tried to do in Miami. So I guess if I had to pick one right now, I might go San Francisco, but with like, I'm not doubting you, Brady. Don't put me in a documentary. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy G comes into a perfect situation there. He's got essentially the same roster that he took to an NFC championship game last year and came pretty close to getting to the Super Bowl again. And he was already within a couple plays of winning the Super Bowl the last time. So that's a perfect situation for him. He's got all the motivation in the world to go and succeed and try and get himself a brand new contract. They have a questionable conference as well. Seahawks are, they, they basically gave away Russell Wilson and took a bunch of draft picks so they can restock next season. Arizona, they don't look anything like a team that should be competing with the kind of roster that they have. So, yeah, that 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 conference, that division there is there for the taking considering how the Rams have started as well, one and one and didn't look good doing it. So, yeah, 49ers are probably up there as well for the NFC. Miami's a good pick in the AFC. I'll give you a, a couple more. I mean, Baltimore, I don't want to doubt because they blew one game. They were awesome offensively in that game. And I'm always going to trust offense in what it says about a team more than defense. There's been plenty of teams with mediocre defenses who make it deep in the playoffs. It's rare that you can do it without a great offense. They could be a great offense. And you talk about motivated players, Lamar Jackson, taking a lot of criticism for not signing a contract and everything else so far. Well, he looks like he's ready to play. I mean, he just, <laughs> not that, not that he's never been, you know, he's always been great. And they were the most injured team in the league or one of the most injured teams in the league last year. Uh, so, so I, I, but I think that uh, if Lamar stays healthy, he was banged up at times last year, that that overall team is pretty good and they'll solve some of their issues that happened in the secondary for last year or uh, last week. Jacksonville is an intriguing pick here because I think everyone will be like, come on, come on. What? Jacksonville. Mark Brunell's not walking through that door. Where's Jimmy Smith? Tony Baselli? I'll keep going. Tony Brackens. Can you uh, name the whole roster? I will just name the whole roster. Fred Taylor. Come on. Blake Bortles be taking you to an AFC championship game again. Uh, so anyway, um, Donovan Darius, let's go. <laughs> Uh, but look, they've got the earmarks. They have a number one overall pick quarterback. Who's incredibly talented. They have a coach who like understands football, <laughs> not just recruiting, uh, urban Meyer. You can't like recruit in the NFL or kick people. What? Yeah, it's not uh, allowed. So they have a real coach, but they also spent money to get receivers and people made fun of the Christian Kirk deal. And I'm sure other, uh, you know, NFL teams were like, come on, you're raising the price for Christian Kirk but he's a player. He's a real guy. Like last year, they were just running a group of receivers that was not good at all. I think that helps. And I also think that Lawrence being that taking that big jump in the second year is very possible in the same way that Joe Burrow did. And look at that division, Houston, Indy, Tennessee, the next best team could win six games. 
They're yeah. all horrendous. Jacksonville, I mean, they can beat any of those teams. They could win, what, five out of six of those games? Like, all of the sudden, Jacksonville looks very competent. So I, I don't want to put them too high, like not over Miami, because I think Miami's roster is really great. Not over a couple other teams like Baltimore. I'm still going to believe in them. But they're right there after that. Uh, next question for you, Jonathan. Next week is Brady Rogers, or uh, on Thursday is Brady Rogers. I want you to tell me your favorite. Doesn't even have to be the best, just your favorite. Let's not do ironic backup quarterback matchups. I made a joke about <laughs> Bubby Britzer versus Scott Zolak last week because that's what uh, Patriots and Steelers looked like. Let's not go ironic. Of great quarterbacks, your best matchup. So I've got two, one from the past and one from today. I'll start with the past and it's a little shaky considering he's in the news for all the wrong reasons, but Brett Favre, when he was the Vikings quarterback going into Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers, there was the hatred between those two uh, as reported by pretty much everybody. Those two denied it, but Clearly it was there. Those two didn't like each other for various reasons. And the Packers fans hated Brett Favre for going over the border to the rivals and leading them to a good season. And Brett Favre, with all of that pressure, with everything kind of bearing down on him, he has a hell of a game against the Packers in his return to Lambeau. That one was a really fun to w- fun one to watch, as well as the the game against uh, the Packers at the Metrodome. Those, those two games that season were extremely fun. I'm going to forget the 2010 season. Like it never happened because just don't want to remember that. Uh, But the first season when Brett Favre was the quarterback of the Vikings against Aaron Rodgers was super fun. One that I love today is the Thursday night matchup from last week, Justin Herbert versus uh, Patrick Mahomes. It's one that we'll see for the next decade because they're in the same division. We'll see it twice a year, possibly three times a year in the play. If they, when they get to the playoffs, those two just going at it is so much fun to watch because they're so young and they're so good and they have talented receivers around them. And that one is going to be fun to watch as they develop into becoming better and better quarterbacks because of, because of their age, they're so young that they have time to get better. And it's going to be impressive to see what they can become. Mahomes versus Josh Allen is an obvious pick here. Also, I think you can mix and match however you like with that battle. Uh, From back in the day, I will go with uh, Steve Young against Troy Aikman just made for so many battles. In fact, I mean, if you were arguing the most stacked teams, maybe in history going up against each other, and I know you can go back into the seventies and find some other ones that are great, but considering who is a quarterback as well, when you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys in 1993-94 going up against the San Francisco 49ers before free agency had really gotten big and players were constantly changing teams, you had two of the most stacked teams ever going at it with two of the best quarterbacks ever. And I've seen some people at times try to say, oh, Troy Aikman, this stat or that stat's not that great, please. They ran the ball in for touchdowns. It's one of the big issues with like quarterback rating. They ran the ball in all the time with Emmitt Smith. Uh, Troy Aikman was one of the best quarterbacks ever. And go look at his playoff performances. And then Steve Young was just, I mean, he takes over for Joe Montana and keeps that going the way that it went. He's got the great talent around him, great offensive line, great defense, great receivers. I mean, those battles were just the best. And another one that comes to mind from that era of great quarterback play in the 90s was uh, when old Joe Montana played against a in his prime John Elway on a Monday night football game 
and Joe Montana came back and won that game for Kansas City. Like they got behind at the very end. It looked like John Elway had a game-winning drive, and then Montana like dinks and dunks his way down the field, throws a little out route to win the game, and it's like the old man could still win freaking football games when he's this old. He's totally broken at that point. He doesn't even have really receivers. It was like Marcus Allen and Kimball Anders who he was throwing to all the time, and yet finding a way. Uh, to still win. That was one of the coolest games that I've ever seen. And as we're talking about, you know, you could talk about through lots of different eras, but I mean, Manning Brady, like, come on, like, I'm not going to go too far off of the grid here, Manning Brady, but one of the most underrated, this guy came up uh, earlier when you were talking about backup quarterbacks off the bench, one of the most underrated, really cool quarterback matchups ever in Super Bowl history Kurt Warner, Steve McNair, Steve McNair, an underappreciated legend in the NFL. Uh, You only think if Steve McNair had played a few years later, like in this era, because he got beat up all the time. And I don't think they would have let them do that to quarterbacks these days. Like he got hurt a lot and played through injuries all the time. And I think he would have been healthier. And also like, I think coaches, he's playing for Jeff Fisher. Gosh, (laughs) I think coaches would have done a much better job of handling his skills. And yet still he was an MVP of the league. He was an incredible quarterback. And then Kurt Warner untouchable at the time the game comes down to the final drive. Just, you know, just magical. Yeah, uh, both those quarterbacks got beat up in that Super Bowl. I mean, at halftime, Kurt Warner was almost benched because he couldn't almost go because he was injured so bad in the first half. So, yeah, both those two quarterbacks in that Super Bowl just put it all on the line. And Kurt Warner came out on top just barely. Okay, last one for you. Now, I was watching football on Sunday because I was traveling Monday to cover Vikings and Eagles. And I noticed something, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. I noticed that every show that was advertised for on CBS was either about cops lawyers, firefighters, or doctors, or firefighting lawyers who became cop doctors, (laughs) like some sort of combination of those things. So I want to know your favorite of all time, either cop, lawyer, firefighter, or doctor show. I'm going to go for honorable mentions, the superhero lawyers in uh, Daredevil and She-Hulk, but that's just the nerdy side of me coming out. Uh, all-time favorite cop, lawyer, doctor, firefighter uh, show has got to be Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Andy Samberg, uh, that whole cast on NBC and Fox for the past nine years, I think. Uh, just one of the funniest shows on television for a very long time and how they put it together and some of the situations that they did is just so funny. They all played off each other. Some of the cold opens are so legendary of how they opened the show and they handled being a cop show in this era of, you know, police news and the police being in the news for all the wrong reasons. They handled that very well, touching on those, on those moments and moments and those issues in very good, very good and classy ways. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen that yet and it's been suggested to me by a lot of people because I'm a parks and rec fan. I watch yep. the office like everybody else and people put that one right up there. Uh, I will say that uh, law and order season say maybe four until eight or nine. That is some of the best TV I've ever seen. You talk about like challenging, like the thought processes of very unique and, and, and difficult political issues and issues to deal with law enforcement and societal issues and with the law in general. They were really deep diving. Like back mm-hmm. in the day, like television, network television was just different. I mean, now it's like 
the network television has turned into like Bruce Willis should be in every single show because it's just like making a hero, you know, out of this or that yeah. person. And they do, you know, unbelievable things. And every villain is the worst person of all time. And all these things, it's just like so over the top that it's almost corny in the way that those Schwarzenegger movies were uh, back, like at the blockbusters. That's how shows are now on network TV and on Netflix and Hulu and Apple and all those things, they, they're sort of getting the more, I want to say like artistic or like in-depth yeah. or like thoughtful shows. But back in the day, that was on network television and Law and & Order did it as well as anything. The writing was phenomenal. The acting was incredible. Um, the guy who plays the main cop on there has a street in New York named after him. Like that's how, that's how meaningful that show was for a while. And then of course, like the Simpsons, it just kept going and no one knew why. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of became a disaster <laughs> for me though. The early law and orders are the best. And before we close, I have to ask you if you have ever heard of the conspiracy theory regarding murder. She wrote, no, what is this? So, uh, <laughs> Angela Lansbury is in murder. She wrote, if, uh, you have a grandma, you've probably heard of it. <laughs> and so, uh, there was a fan theory based on the fact that this small Cape Cod town in Maine, if it, they put together like how long the show was on versus the number of murders, and it would make it the murder capital of the United States. Literally the most <laughs> dangerous place in the United States was a small Cape Cod, Cape Cod town in Maine. And she was there solving all the murders. Okay, well, fans thought, is it possible she was doing the murders? Right. She was the most prolific serial killer of all time. And if you know Angela Lansbury and who that is, that makes it even funnier. Right. But, I mean, I, I fan conspiracy theories are hilarious in general. But when I saw that one, I think like Mental Floss had it. If you follow that on Twitter, I, I, I mean, it's one of my favorite things of all time that like <laughs> that she has to be the murderer. <laughs> So I haven't I haven't seen Dexter, but I think it's around it's based on a guy who is a serial killer and he's trying to solve all these murders that he's the one doing. But so you're saying murder she wrote was the first version of Dexter. Could be. They, they never go. said that. They never like revealed that. <laughs> That's where they got the idea from. Could be. Uh Jonathan, great stuff. Super fun show. Usually these will come out on Tuesdays. Sorry it was a day later, uh, just because of scheduling, but we will catch you next Tuesday to recap everything that's gone on in the league and look forward to the next week. Thank you, Jonathan, as always for everything, not just, not just the show, but just for being you. Yeah. Glad to, glad to help out. And this was fun. Let's do it again next week.